Gospel lesson is from Luke chapter 4. This is actually the lectionary's gospel lesson for next week, but I thought this is the passage we ought to hear on this holiday weekend. And then Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the people were fixed on him. And they began to say to to themselves, Is this not Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is without honor except in his hometown. And when the people heard this, the synagogue was filled with rage, and they got up and drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, and they made as if to hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Katie Lancaster and Christine Hydes and Chris Johnson and Bev Kirk run the most wonderful middle school youth program here on Wednesday nights. I wish you could hear their eloquent and moving prayer time together. Sometimes Katie and Christine let me sneak in as a guest. One Wednesday last fall I was there and this young man starts striding purposely towards me across the room and he confidently extends his hand and looks me in the eye and says, Good evening, Dr. Evertsburg. How are you tonight? must have been 10 or 11 years old, probably a fifth grader. The room was full of people. It would have been so easy for him to avoid the scary senior minister, but he made me feel welcome in that room full of short people. And I started noticing that this is just who he is, a young man of precocious confidence and character. A couple of days later, I told his father how much I admired the father's son, and the father looked a little stunned. He didn't really say this, but you could tell what he was thinking. Are we talking about the same person? (laughs) It's happened to me, and I bet it's happened to you as well. Sometimes it takes a stranger or a distant acquaintance to notice what's special about our children. Sometimes it's those who are closest to us who fail to appreciate our unique gifts. You know, in your home office in Chicago, nobody pays attention to you. They don't hear a word you say, and then you go to the New York office and suddenly you're a genius. They're hanging on every word you say. You've heard the old definition of an expert. An expert is somebody who is at least 50 miles from home. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, says Jesus to the hometown crowd in Nazareth. Here's what's going on. When Jesus turns 30, he launches this spectacular preaching tour of all the synagogues in Galilee, just like Joel Osteen or Billy Graham. The crowds are huge. The response is adulatory. Everybody is stunned by his brilliance and silver-tongued oratory until he gets to his hometown. 
So there stands Jesus on the bema of the synagogue in Nazareth, and he looks out over the sea of familiar faces. There's the librarian who taught him to read when he was in the first grade, and there's the third grade Sunday school teacher who helped him memorize the 23rd Psalm, and there's the little league coach who taught him to hit a curveball in whatever passed for baseball in first century Palestine. And there's Mother Mary sitting with Jesus' younger brothers and sisters. Familiarity breeds children, said Mark Twain, right? (laughs) Familiarity breeds not quite contempt, but indifference maybe, meh. But it's not just familiarity that turns them off. It's the boldness of Jesus' first recorded sermon. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Bold words, those. Jesus is telling those bourgeois shopkeeps and fishmongers and carpenters and vintners and bakers and millers that they are not his target audience. They are not the ones for whom he has come. Jesus has come for everybody who's not there. The unemployed, the unsighted, the unfree, the unregarded, the woebegones and Godforsakens. And then he speaks the most subversive word of all in his sermon. He says, today, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, it's okay for Jesus to talk about justice in the distant past or the unseen future, but not now. That's rude. It's okay for him to talk about justice and equality that Isaiah promised 500 years before when these words were first spoken. And it's okay to promise justice and equality in some unknown utopian future, but not now, not today. It's okay for me to talk about the evils of slavery because slavery died 150 years ago. And it's okay for me to promise an unlikely future where where people will be be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. But as soon as I start talking about white supremacists in Charlottesville, then I get in trouble. Cleophas LaRue teaches preaching at Princeton Seminary in the Christian Century recently. He wrote, sometimes it's dangerous to do things now. If Jesus said, someday, tomorrow, after a while, by and by, he would have pacified the congregation. But when he says, today, he draws a line in the sand and provokes a response, a violent response, by the way. So you and I have talked before about Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham City Jail. And so you remember how Dr. King wrote his famous letter to eight prominent white clergymen in Birmingham, five bishops, two parish pastors, and a rabbi who objected to Dr. King's insistence on today. During the civil rights protests in 1963 in Birmingham, these clergymen had written Dr. King a letter which boils down essentially to, not you, Not here, not this way, not yet, not now, not today, someday. And Dr. King wrote back, for years now I've heard the word wait, and wait almost always means never. And we have to remember that justice delayed is justice denied. We have been waiting 340 years for our God-given and constitutional rights. 
There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and people are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day. Tomorrow and tomorrow. Always tomorrow. Three simple words, he famously said. Three simple words sum up what the black man wants. All here now. Taylor Branch is probably the most accomplished historian of America during the middle years of the 20th century in the United States today. Twelve years ago, he finally completed a three-volume, 2,900-page history of America during the King years. Taylor Branch is a Presbyterian elder and a dedicated chorister at his church in Baltimore. Taylor Branch says that it was actually the city of Chicago that gave Dr. King his national reputation. Dr. King had come here to the city in August of 1966 to protest the refusal of real estate agents locally to sell black people houses in white neighborhoods. Mayor Daley was apoplectic. You know what they said of Mayor Daley, his definition of diversity is nine Irishmen and a Swede. White Chicago's reaction to the civil rights demonstration was angry and violent. And Taylor Branch says that until Chicago in 1966, Northerners thought racism was a Southern problem. In the North, we never had slaves. In the North, we're not racists. But then these racial tensions in 1966 showed how wrong all Americans were. The Saturday Evening Post bluntly told Americans, we are all, let's face it, Mississippians. So I don't know how you feel about Jason Van Dyke's sentence the other day or the acquittal of his three protective colleagues from the Chicago Police Department, but it's clear we have not come far enough to in 50 years. The tensions are still palpable. You wonder how long America will have to pay for its original sin of slavery. It's hard for us to know how to help up here in snow white land. I'm not talking about the stuff on the ground. But maybe you could get to know some of the folks Jesus came for by getting involved with some of the outreach agencies that Peter will talk about in a moment. These outreach agencies who try to serve the folk Jesus was talking about. C.S. Lewis once said, dogs and cats should always be brought up together. It broadens their minds so Today, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. There are always some people who are way ahead of the rest of us, who are too early for their time, right? You and I have talked before about how wonderful this film 42 is. 42 is Jackie Robinson's number. You and I have talked before about Branch Rickey. But I don't think I've told you this story. We forget that it was essentially the Christian faith that integrated the major leagues in 1945, 1947. Branch Rickey was a devout Methodist and he was convinced that against all sensible advice, the major leagues ought to be integrated. He came to this conclusion all by himself based on his faith. Branch Rickey, by the way, gave us not only Jackie Robinson, but 
the farm system in baseball, spring training in Florida, the pitching machine, the batting helmet, and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Branch Rickey, University of Michigan Law School, 1911. So Branch Rickey, general manager of the Dodgers, decides to sign this kid named Jackie Robinson. And the Dodgers now begin traveling to all these National League cities around the country. And before their first visit to Philadelphia, Herb Pennock, the Phillies' general manager, rings up Branch Rickey and begs him not to bring Jackie to Philadelphia. We're not ready for it here, Branch, said Herb Pennock. And if you bring that boy down here, we will refuse to take the field. Branch Rickey says, Herb, the Dodgers are coming to Philadelphia and Jackie is a part of our team when what you do with your team is up to you. If we have to take the win by forfeit, we will, which is, by the way, nine to nothing. And oh, by the way, Herb, do you think God likes baseball? Yes, Herb, God likes baseball. And someday you're going to have to go face to face with God before you get into heaven. And when God asks you why you forfeited that baseball game, just remember that because the opposing team had a black player might not be a sufficient answer. Bam, slams the phone back into its cradle. Someday. We'll come face to face with God. So we may as well get started preparing for someday, today. So today let there be good news for the poor, release for the captives. Today let there be recovery of sight for the blind. Today let the oppressed go free. Today begins the acceptable year of our Lord. Today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.